are listening to the Amodamar podcast. In this series, Amoda explores her essential teaching through conversation and excerpts from interviews and events. To find out more about events and to sign up for her newsletter, go to www.amodamar.com. Please subscribe, comment and share if this podcast moves you. And if you feel called to donate, please go to the website. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Uh, greetings, and welcome to another podcast with Amoda Ma. Today, Amoda is in conversation with John Prendergast. A little bit about John. John Prendergast, PhD, is a spiritual teacher offering online and in-person teachings the author of The Deep Heart and In Touch, retired adjunct professor of psychology at the California Institute of Integral Studies and a retired psychotherapist. He studied for many years with the European sage Jean Klein, as well as with Adyashanti. You can find John's website in the podcast notes. Hello, John. Hey, Kavi. Great. Umoda, are you there? I'm here. Okay. So today... Amoda and John are going to be discussing, hopefully amongst other things, but with particular relevance to, is there a relationship between psychology and non-duality? Can psychotherapy be a support in the awakening process? And the gifts and challenges of being a spiritual teacher. And I do hope that between the two of you, you actually have time to get to that third one, because that I think will be an interesting conversation. So, uh, having said that, I'll leave you two guys to it. Thank you, Cavi. John, hi. Hi, Amada. It's good to see you and hear you. Yes, it's been several years since we have been together in person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, just a little bit about, uh, you know, how we how we met. Yeah, you were one of the uh, first people, if you like, that I interacted with on a professional basis um, and on a friendly basis. When I landed in the Bay Area about five years ago, we met at SAND, the Science and Non-Duality Conference. Um, I don't remember how we got to speak, but uh, I remember having tea with you. Uh-huh. And well, we were both presenters at Sand, and I came to your talk. And, ah, that was I, it. And I felt an immediate resonance with you and your way of teaching. And uh, I don't know. I think I may have reached out to you, and uh, we had tea. That was it. And then shortly after that, you invited me to speak at the. Uh, was was it called the the, the psychology and non and non dual wisdom on non dual wisdom and yes. psychothera- psychology mm-hmm. yeah at the California Institute of Integral Studies um, so I'm very grateful for that that kind of oh. launched me into a bigger public arena if you like mm-hmm. um, and yes I think we both felt that that there was there was and is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, very much a resonance with our teaching. Uh-huh. Um, you weren't teaching at the time. You were in the role of psychotherapist. Well, um, actually, I was teaching. I was oh, just, were you? Yeah, I just started 
maybe the year before uh, to offer my own retreats. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later, how perhaps we both segued from uh, either gracefully, gracefully or ungracefully from being in the psychological world to some degree uh, to being spiritual teachers. But, but well, I suppose that's, that's the parallel. We both, I, I feel a very strong parallel. Perhaps we can just sort of oh, oh. unpack that a little bit um, in, in the way we've come into perhaps the non-dual, both on a personal level and on a professional level. Um, my background's in psychology. Um, not many people uh, know that that work with me today. Um, mine was very academic. I was in the realm of experimental psychology, which was not my intention at all. Um, um, and and your background in psychology, I'm not entirely sure of. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about that. Oh, well, um, I mean, actually, uh, I was teaching TM before I even got into the field of psychology. And I did so for two reasons. One is uh, I was fine on long retreats, you know, three months, six months, but get me off retreat. And I was an anxious human being. So I realized, you know, it was a very incomplete approach and I needed to really know more about my psychology. And also I wanted to make a living, you know, where I could be of service. So that took me into grad school studying it and um, <clears throat> became a psychotherapist and then began to teach also, uh, teach master's level students. But really my underlying, the movement always was this impulse I would say towards realizing who I really am. Okay, uh, so and so that blended in, you know, with my my uh, practice, psychotherapy practice, and also teaching. Okay, so it sounds like the the foundation was very much in the, um, like like you said, the the quest to to know who you are mm -hmm. on a fundamental level. Um, and the psycho psychology um, that you were immersed in was on the more on the psychotherapeutic side, perhaps more humanistic, uh, and so and, on. And transpersonal. And transpersonal. Mm -hmm. um, wonderful. Um, that was my intention when I entered um, the academic field of psychology, but it didn't turn out that way. Unfortunately, I ended up down a very narrow. Well, you were in England and I was in California. Yes. <laughs> that, that makes a absolutely, difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, my, my primary interest was the transpersonal, particularly oh. Jung, Jungian. Oh. Um, I had no intention of being a therapist. I wasn't able to have a conversation with anyone at the time, let alone help anyone else. <laughs> but um, my personal interest was, was in the much wider, uh, you know, landscape oh. of psychology um, but all the time, this underlying quest to know uh -huh. fundamental nature, to know who I am, it took a lot of unraveling. Um, how did you experience um, psychotherapy in your personal life as a support for awakening? Did you find that it was um, a necessary adjunct? Did it, um, you know, did one lead to another? Did they go in tandem? Oh. 
Well, I was um, I was actually in psychotherapy just for two years with uh, someone who had a transpersonal orientation and did Reikian work. Um, I was completely naive about transference, um, and uh, <clears throat> I don't. I think it had some value, but not a great deal. I, I did it. <laughs> I did it because I had to as part of my program of training. Um, so I'm not actually that experienced on the, you know, on the client side of being in, in therapy. And I think a lot of the unraveling and unwinding of my own conditioning just happened through my self self-study really my willingness to be with my experience intimately and allow it to be. And as I learned more about how to be a therapist, I learned more about myself and my own conditioning and how to be with it. So I think those, that's really where the therapy happened informally. Um, and um, <clears throat> So may I, I, I ask, ask, yeah, may, may I ask at which point you would say, there was an awakening to true nature? Was it gradual? Was it sudden? Did it come about during that exploration you speak about? Um, can well, you pinpoint it or was I, it much more subtle than that? Uh, there were several, there are several turning points, I would say. And one was, you know, I'd studied with Jean Klein, uh, met him in 83 and in 87 had, I would say my first glimpse of reality where I was just stripped of all identity all stories, uh, all orientation, all reference points, and felt myself as infinite awareness. Um, <clears throat> that was while on retreat. It lasted about six hours until, <laughs> until I began to interact with people. And then the kind of relational self coalesced. But that was the glimpse. I knew this was actually what, you know, what was real. Most Were real. you practicing as a psychotherapist at the time? I was, yeah. I was yeah. licensed and, and okay. just beginning to work as a teacher but it really wasn't until probably 14 years later on retreat with Adyashanti where um, kind of remaining subtle sense of being a witness was penetrated, felt like, like a skylight mm -hmm. was broken. And the sense of knowing myself as infinite awareness uh, was very clear and it remained from that yes. point, 2001. And then it deepened into the heart and into the hara and that's a, for me, this is an open-ended process, the more yes. gradual transposition of this knowing into the conditioned body-mind. Yes. Yeah. So would you say, so, so you bring that approach into psychotherapy, just going back to the, the role of psychotherapy in awakening. Um, you, you said that, that initially or essentially um, you, you, you don't think that psychotherapy is um, – is that valuable in the in the awakening process? Certainly not, uh, perhaps me, traditional psychotherapy. Me, that's right. But for me, it wasn't. But I actually, in the role as psychotherapist for many years now, uh, I find it extremely helpful yes. for people, um, yes. particularly when I have the orientation really working from presence, mm. you know, rather than trying to fix conditioning or improve the person, but more to be with the conditioning from openness, from unconditional awareness yes. and allowing it to unfold. Yeah. I mean, I must say that that's something that I've found. I mean, I've never practiced uh, uh, officially as a psychotherapist, but 
uh, I have worked with individuals one-to-one with breath work. I'm a trained breath worker. Um, I bring my own vast kind of experience and knowledge of transpersonal realms and um, the the inner journey. And so I've I've worked with people, emotional counselling and breath work and so on. And whilst I've let that go, I obviously like you now, I do private sessions um, uh, that support my teaching one, one-to-one work. And I find that um, a kind of, I mean, you could call it a psychotherapeutic approach, but, but it's actually the relationship, the space, the presence, the openness uh-huh. within that, that is the real uh, transformative factor. It's not the techniques or tools. I mean, I don't use any techniques as such Uh or tools, um, but just uh, that that deep capacity to really listen, to listen from openness and allow the space itself to inform. And I think that's where, let's call it psychology, psychotherapy, and non-duality blend come uh-huh. together uh-huh. so that it's not when, you know, when we're teaching uh, as non-dual teachers or whatever we want to be called, we're not teaching from a place of distance or pedestal. There, There is an intimacy in that. Yes. And I think that's where the two come together. And, and yeah. I've seen uh-huh. specifically that with, with individuals that come to retreats or online teachings, that the one-to-one work in that safe container uh-huh. is absolutely a val- valuable support. And that uh-huh. does include, that does include the personal story. Uh-huh. <laughs> it has to, it has to be unpacked. It has to be seen uh-huh. and it, yeah, not just denied in some kind of uh-huh. non-dual <laughs> transcendent <laughs> bubble. Um, and I think that's where the two come together. Would you mm-hmm. agree on that? I completely agree with that. I think yeah. we're, that's we're, that's the resonance we sense in each other's approach because there's it's that it is the presence, the shared presence, the openness, uh, which is both spacious and intimate, and invites what's essential into the foreground, uh, mm-hmm. which is our true nature. But also, you know, whatever tends to obstruct or veil that is then also brought into the foreground of attention mm-hmm. and and received within that openness, received within that sense of love. Um, so that that is the most transformational element, I agree. There are little, little methods that I use in the way of inquiry or focusing attention, but they're secondary. What's mm-hmm. really primary is we could say the relationship yes. you know, with ourself yes. and the guise of the other, Yes. And it's it's a quality of intimacy that's deeper than any personal intimacy, yet it includes that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Well, uh, do you want to say a little bit about your segue? Yes, of psychology course. Psychology and, you know, to spirituality? Yes. I mean, for me, it was um, traumatic, actually. Um, it wasn't a, 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 a gentle segue it was a very sudden one um my academic life collapsed in an instant (laughs) after many years of hard work and I mean many years I can't remember probably about 12 years of academic research and um 
it was like something in me, both the conditions that I was working in, the uh, narrowness of the experimental method, which was really not what I wanted to do, but but sort of got lost in, um, and something deep within me was rising up um, to say, this isn't, this isn't you. And to expose my need for approval, that's what it came down to. I hadn't done any psychotherapeutic work. I hadn't done any personal work. I hadn't done any body work uh, up until that point, but in an instant it collapsed. Um, And in that collapse, I was really stripped down to um, being nobody. I mean, really being nobody in within the social matrix, within the academic world. Um, I lost all my status. I lost all my, um, I, well, I actually lost my home. I lost my relationship. I lost everything. And I was really stripped down to nothing. And, and it was very traumatic. Um, there were times where I was literally on the street pretty much and penniless um, in the heart of London. Um, and I didn't know who I was. And all my striving for academic success and um, having some voice in that world, which was really progressing in in a certain direction. I was invited to speak at conferences and so on. Um, But it all got stripped away and I was left with, with the journey of inquiry, but not in any traditional way. I was unaware of spirituality and spiritual teachers um, that came very quickly afterwards. Um, I had tried TM and that led me to other forms of meditation. Um, But it's in that stripping down on a worldly level that I started to unpack, discover, dig deeper into the layers of identity. And that was a very long journey for me many methods, many processes, mostly body centered. Um, and, uh, pretty soon led me to India, um, to be in the field of Osho, although he wasn't alive at the time. And therein started a very different journey deep within. Um, so that was the beginning of my sort of deeper inquiry, if you like. It sounds um, like, you know, a real crisis in identity and, and a very spontaneous deconstructive inquiry began. And it's, and it's striking just how, how much that's an upwelling from the sense this isn't the truth, this isn't right. And, and a willingness, I don't even know if there was a willingness on your part, it sounds like it just collapsed into that. It collapsed and there was a willingness because I had a choice to um, kind of claw back my academic pedestal and uh, or to just let it go. Well, it let go of me, but I could have probably clawed it back somewhat, Um, but it didn't feel right. It wasn't true. It wasn't true. And although there was a lot of grief and some regret at times, um, 
and this sense of being nobody and nothing, it was the best thing that ever happened. (laughs) And so that started my journey. Uh, You know, I I, I wasn't with a teacher as such, uh, apart from being with, you know, in the in the environment of Osho's field, I would say, for some time. Um, I didn't have a non-dual teacher. In fact, non-duality wasn't really a word then. It might have been in the Bay Area. It wasn't in London. (laughs) Um, That came much, much later. Um, But I guess that was the beginning of a journey that eventually led me to the Bay Area. (laughs) the Bay Area. And, and for you, and this is something we can talk about, this is one of the themes, is this kind of um, stepping into the role as a teacher. And um, how has that been for you? And, and you know, what, what gifts and challenges? Yeah, let's both talk about that. That would be interesting. Um, for me, I never actually stepped into it. There was no plan. There was no idea of it. Uh, like I said, I was in London and then on the south coast of England where there isn't the richness, there certainly wasn't, I should say, um, uh, the richness of uh, exploration and inquiry and the long history of the meeting of East and West as I've come to find out there has been on the West coast of America. Well, I knew that, but I knew that by reading about it. I didn't know about, about it by living in it. Um, certainly it's not like that, or it certainly wasn't like that in the, uh, whenever it was late nineties, early two thousand. Um, and so I was kind of out on a limb. So I spent many years doing nothing. I was a breath worker now and then, and, um, you know, I worked with emotional catharsis. So I did guide people. I had some sessions, private sessions, but much of the time I, I, I wasn't really doing anything. Um, and, uh, I was out on a limb really. I, 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 I did write a book or two, <laughs> um, and I felt, I don't know, something happened. I, this little nudge came one day in the midst of nowhere in a small town <laughs> saying, you need to speak from silence. And the only speaking I'd ever done in public uh, in my academic years had not come from silence, had come from prepared notes. Absolutely. So this was a big deal for me, but I waited and I waited and I waited. And to cut a long story short, I literally, literally rented a room, put a chair in the middle of the room, had no idea who was coming, had put a small flyer up and uh, five people showed up from a course in miracles. They were course in miracles students and were looking for some kind of gathering in that town. They came, they were very open. I spoke from silence and so started a, a regular meeting. Um, it was a very small group over the years. I had no agenda as to where it was going. I didn't know about non-duality. Um, I was aware that it was becoming, if you like, or presenting itself as some kind of satsang, but I wouldn't even call it that. So it was kind of stripped of all (laughs) labels and identity, Uh but it did become that. Uh And 
that's how I got invited to the Bay Area. (laughs) So I kind of fell into, well, I wouldn't say fell into, I kind of glided into being a spiritual teacher um, without any kind of preconceived idea about it. It's only when I landed in the Bay Area that it kind of, in some ways, exploded. Suddenly, I was a new non-dual teacher. Suddenly, there was a name for this. Suddenly, there was a label. Suddenly, I was a spiritual teacher. Suddenly, people were coming and wanting to listen. And if we're going to talk about challenges, there was a challenge in that for sure. Um, uh, But having been on a long journey of deconstruction, none of the challenges actually stuck. Uh, The challenges, to name them, are projections, expectations from others, projections of being the spiritual teacher and, in some ways, how you should act or how you should look or how you should be, how you should interact. I felt all that very strongly. I felt that very strongly and it was very uncomfortable. Um, But... uh, at the heart of it, I'm a, I'm a rebel and I'm a deconstructor of illusions, if you like, both within myself and, and with others. So I wouldn't play that role. I, I didn't take on those projections. Um, and in fact, at one point, I, 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 I felt like giving the whole thing up and just being nobody again. That willingness is important, isn't it? To, to stay, give it all up, to give it, oh, to give up. it up. And, yes, you know, and also not to take on those projections, hmm. and also I must say not to run away because that's my tendency. Is that uh-huh. uh, uh, I would, in my previous years or my whole life, rather be invisible and nobody uh-huh. than actually be exposed as uh-huh. what people may perceive as somebody and then be misunderstood in that. Uh-huh. Well, that uh, was a that, big one for me. Yeah, and I it, stayed and I stayed. Yeah, you so stayed. now it's not you, a problem. <laughs> you held your ground yeah. uh, or the ground held you. Uh, yeah. And that were somewhat similar. You know, my, my temperament is more introverted and I've never been interested in like a, being a public persona or recognized. And I had no ambition to be a teacher. I, I just felt drawn by this. I didn't go through a big crisis like you did. And maybe that's because my conditioning was more benign, you know, early on, I had more of a secure and stable environment, if somewhat neurotic. Um, But I was, I could just, it it just, it's interesting. Um, In terms of, of course, I was doing academic teaching and in academic teaching, this aspect of non-duality would come through sometimes because we would talk about being and being together and being no one and, you know, the power of that. But there was a, a kind of a safety in that role. You know, academically, it was more circumscribed. I was an academic teacher. I didn't have to, you know, answer to some higher level. So I could feel there was some resistance on my part. And I think th- there was also for me, one of the challenges is I have not wanted to abuse power. And I've seen so many teachers, not mine, not the specific teachers I worked with, at least, well, actually, an early one. Yes, absolutely. But my closest teachers and foundational teachers did not. But uh, I think that's my own kind of stuff, 
you know, not wanting to be, not wanting to abuse power and knowing the power in the role, because we have tremendous influence because people are opening their hearts, you know, in the deepest way. And I really wanted to honor that and internally feel um, ready in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So there was actually an, kind of an interesting turning point. I was, um, I did, after a series of retreats with Adya, I felt kind of done with that. There was kind of a completion in the understanding. And I started small groups, small inquiry groups, two of them. And I did those for 11 years. And in those years, that's 2006 to 2017, I was really experimenting with how to share this understanding, but kind of lower profile. Uh, And meanwhile, a friend of mine, uh, Dorothy Hunt, invited me to start teaching with her, and she had been asked by Adya to teach. So that offered an opportunity for a larger, you know, retreat framework. And and I kind of sort of gained confidence that this was something that I could do uh, that was of value, even for an introvert <laughs> like myself. And I love what you said, uh, Moda, about this little voice saying, speak from silence, because this has really been, uh, speaking of challenges, it's like to continually let go of preparation, you know, of um, a goal, and trusting the spontaneity and the wisdom and the love that comes from someplace other than the mind mm. comes from the depths of our being. And that's, um, that's been beautiful actually to surrender to that, not knowing mm. you know, to that. Uh, and, and again and again, uh, share from yes. that. And that, that feels like the most, most important thing. And I think one other element for me, <coughs> excuse me, was I could feel a readiness to embrace the most difficult suffering of others like there was just a moment once that it became clear that there was an availability here to go anywhere um, with another Mm. so i guess there was just some kind of growing maturity Mm. gradual you know Mm. maturation and that led to uh, greater confidence in Mm. in sharing along with a sense knowing that i would not abuse Mm. uh, the power that comes with this talk a little bit I mean there's quite a few interesting points there but um just about that power thing what would you say I mean what is abuse of power I mean we've got the obvious things yeah <laughs> money sex <laughs> yeah that, that, yeah but the more subtle abuses of power because I have to say that's something that is of absolute no consequence to me I'm aware of it in others but it has no traction in myself. And I'm wondering if perhaps that has something to do with the differences between, dare I say it, men and women. Well, um, men, men are inclined to dominate mm-hmm. and to assert power. That's not personally, that's not been my inclination. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really know where this kind of resistance was in me. Mm-hmm. Um, Would you say that the abuse of power comes in something as subtle as kind of, uh, how shall I say it, absorbing the adulation? It could, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which puts you on a kind of pedestal. That's right. It's subtle, yeah? 
yeah, the need for recognition and you use your students um, to validate your your worth. And we see a lot of narcissism in teachers. And that's, you know, because it is, uh, it it does, it's a role that definitely pulls for projections, the ones that idealization. So, so for you, for not saying for you personally, but for those of us who are in the role of a teacher to get attached to that idealization is an abuse of power. So that, yeah, absolutely. And I've seen it as well. That was part of my uh, training in the Bay area. (laughs) Uh Um, uh, I would say that's where some degree of psychological insight or you know self psychological insight has to be the ground of being a teacher now i say that because what i've seen and i'm not i don't mean formal psychology training or psychotherapy even but i have seen um individuals who have a profound awakening and then go on to be teachers very quickly. And actually they haven't done the deeper inner work to become aware of some of these aspects of self. And I think that's where it's primary. For me, I was so deconstructed. I was so um, sort of, that's you know, torn apart by the vultures, if you like, uh-huh. inner and outer. Uh-huh. Yeah, my inner world and my outer world. I became, yeah, yes, dismembered. I became so much a nobody that my, it's not even a sense of worth. It's like the whole dichotomy, the whole continuum of worthlessness and worthiness uh, collapsed Yes, mm-hmm. because I always felt unworthy. I always felt like the black sheep or the ugly duckling or the one left behind uh-huh. or the one that wasn't good enough, the one that didn't have a voice. And in being so dismembered and for such a long time, John, uh-huh. I mean, really, there uh-huh. must have been about, I can't quantify it. I'd have to look back in my memory banks. But I would say there was a good 12 years, if uh-huh. not more, of being torn to shreds in Uh every way. It's almost like every aspect of my ego was, was picked on and, and, (laughs) and, you know, kind of destroyed. Picked apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Picked apart. And that was a wonderful ground in retrospect. It wasn't at the time that allowed this idea of, being worthy enough or being uh, unworthy uh, to uh, totally collapse. Uh, and so I came into, into this role, if you like, without any need for recognition. Uh, uh, um, and that's a and blessing, right? It's a In blessing. retrospect. Absolutely. Right. And it has been so ever since. Uh-huh. You know, there have been times where I've been judged harshly, <laughs> There's been times when I've been, um, you know, sort of adulated. elevated, yeah, adulated. Uh-huh. And, you know, the honest truth is that neither of those touch me. Right. 
Of course, I prefer <laughs> the praise, but I don't need it. Uh-huh. I don't need it. And so neither of them really mean anything well, to me. They neither add or take away. Yeah, and that's and a blessing. Is, it is a blessing, and it's a sign of maturity, psychological, not just psychological, but spiritual maturity. And I, I think you're right. People, it's not so unusual for people to have openings, even big openings, but to have the maturity, really, the, the self capacity for self understanding. Um, to at least see if those tendencies come up and not act them out and and um, be aware of them um, is very important. And a lot of teachers don't have that understanding or that depth of deconstruction you mm-hmm. know, that, uh, that you had. So you had both a kind of, you know, a very spontaneous deconstructive process that you were willing to surrender to and also the psychological understanding of the pitfalls. Mm-hmm that one can get caught Mm -hmm. in both are very important and so you know not everyone who awakens is really fit i think to teach Mm -hmm. and um my friend stephen bowie has really been honing in on narcissism of spiritual teachers and the damage that it can do Mm -hmm. uh, because you know not only can there be a desire to be adulated you know and idealized but but we can idealize students or we get the flip side value or, you know, idealize or devalue and not just be with someone where they are absolutely, and and see, see who they really are and recognize um, where they are as well. So to take oneself, you know, as special to take oneself as better than um, all of that separation and, uh, and then to exploit various subtle or not so subtle ways when students is is common actually yes yes i suppose this is the whole um sort of issue of transference and counter transference uh-huh. and all of that uh-huh. yeah and and some i mean we i don't think we need spiritual teachers to go to grad school in psychology <laughs> but i do think some basic awareness of these um, this phenomena is really important because we human beings are complex and mm. we have very early needs, you know, that do get projected onto, um, you know, parental figures. So yeah. good mother, bad mother. And, and, and yet these, these uh, insights into oneself and uh, this willingness to, to truly not take on, you know, negative or positive projections and and all of this, you can't really quantify this. You can't learn this. You can't go, like you said, to training on this. It can't, you know, it can't be just a sort of. It can't be intellectual or intellectual understanding. Yeah. Uh Um, And there's no way to measure it really. It's, it's in the, it's in the doing of it that it's measured, if you like, it's seen, it it, it either has a sort of ripple effect or it sort of, it almost can collapse into itself and destroy itself. It can, and it does. And we see a lot of those kind of stumbles out the gate. It's in, it's in the field. That's the interesting thing. And, um, it can be sensed. Uh, it can be sensed. 
mean, that's one of the th- kind of interesting things is when you have a gathering of teachers, so-called like at Sand, to kind of dip in and get the flavor, you know, of different people. And of course, some of it's just a matter of, you know, resonance and it's very personal, yes. but also we can sense when, when there are these elements of pulling for something, um, a real, you know, charismatic teachers will do that. Yes. And we'll yes. see someone who's really on a mission, you know, and holding themselves out as special. And there's a kind of a certain vibe that goes with that. So, you know, sure. I think that's why I was, uh, I enjoyed your presentation because I didn't feel that. Oh, thank you. That's very, that's nice that you could see that, uh, you know, in the early days there, you know, I, I, I wasn't used to speaking in public and mm-hmm. sand was definitely uh, a sort of doorway to a, a wider audience. I mean, goodness, the first time I spoke there, there were about 80 people or a hundred people in the audience. I, yeah. I'd never spoken to more than about 10 or 20. Oh, interesting. Well, I was, so, <laughs> I was in the audience. <laughs> so, you know, there's a certain, I don't know if it was, you know, I, let's say it this way. I think I've relaxed in my, uh, at least in my personality self, uh-huh. has relaxed more. <laughs> oh, I have, yeah. I have too. And, yeah. I, I, I notice that there's just with years of experience, mm. um, there was that relaxation, that trust. And, and I do get the feedback, you know, of a, a, just people immediately feel a sense of clarity and safety mm. you know, working with me. And it's not something I've tried to create, but I think it's just something that's in the field and people yeah. can sense as they do with you. Yeah, it just becomes more ordinary, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Yeah, and even, you know, as we know, to take oneself as a teacher is just another identity, isn't it? So this yes. is this is much more of a natural sharing, a natural invitation. And if there's a maturity and a capacity, then there's a sense of flow and ease. And and for me, I'd be interested for you to hear from you too, Amoda. After... I do a retreat or some kind of teaching online. There's a sense of being well used. Mm. It's like, I don't, I don't <laughs> think about what's happened. It's not like a patting oneself on the back. It's not, you know, mm. job well done. There's just kind of an inner sense of having been well used. I like that phrase. I like that phrase. Well used. I, I feel that too. I really feel that. I mean, I'm doing a lot of teaching right now. I don't know about you, but there's often two, three, sometimes more um, gatherings, uh, including the sessions, the private sessions in a week. So I'm kind of like um, in in some flow at the moment seems to be happening. Uh Uh And uh, far from being tiring, especially being online all the time Uh or, you know, uh, or draining, it is incredibly nourishing without it being, uh, like you say, a patting on the back. It's just got a natural nourishment, and that is the feeling of being used. Yeah, it's. I guess that's being of service mm-hmm. um, without the idea of being of service, because well, that can be a very spiritual idea. I'm doing good work. That's right. I'm of service. I, you know, I, I don't have that. Uh, it's just you've done work. And you've been used and you've given everything 
and it's been received or not received. And there's something incredibly right about that. That's right. We we are in service to the whole. Yes. Without unselfconsciously. Yes. Uh Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. There's something. Yeah. Deeply aligned. Yes. And it's sort of inevitable. You can't, I I always sense I can't control it. I can't, I can't plan it. I mean, of course there's planning on a, on a small level, you have to plan your retreats and the dates, but I mean, you, you can't plan how, how it flows or or how much work you do. It sort of just has its own rhythm. Um, It's, it's really a a different, it's really the way of being. I I was going to say different way of being, but the way of being, and it's, it's different than the way of the mind, different than the way of the conditioned personality. It's, it's in the moment, always moment to moment, fresh, alive, surprising sometimes. Yes. Yes. Intimate. Yes. Touching, uh, nourishing, as you said, yes. a sense of um, alignment, attunement, something, something greater moving. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And and you are you I are servants of that. That's it. Yeah, that's what I feel like. I feel like oh. I'm a servant of it, and a willing servant, and a. Um, dare I say it, humble servant. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so it goes on. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that willingness to step away or let it go at any mm. moment mm. is also important that it, mm. that allows us to actually be available mm. you know, without any grasping. Mm. Yeah. There's something about, um, just the phrase is coming at the heart of awareness and um, being being in service to the heart of awareness. Yeah. So there's this both wisdom and love aspect, you know, that, that comes through. I just I just feel the openness of my heart as I speak with you about this. Mm, thank you. Yes. Yes. It's the movement of love, isn't it? It's uh-huh. the intelligence of love uh-huh. that is, well, it's the intelligence of love that is moving in this space here now. Yes. And that's what's always being, if you like, listened to or responding, responded uh-huh. to. Uh-huh. And that's why there's this sense of flow or guess non non-doership yeah uh-huh. um uh-huh. it's sort of being done through you uh-huh. yeah it's being done through me uh-huh. um which actually is how it is uh-huh. for everyone for everyone all <laughs> but the, the time. awareness That's isn't it. there and when there is the awareness of that because there isn't anything obscuring it Uh the narratives of self are not obscuring it then you have that sense of fullness the emptiness and the fullness Uh the emptiness of self the emptiness of of the the doer uh and the fullness of love's movement (laughs) Uh and that's 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 why it feels like you're used. You're being uh-huh. used by that in the most uh-huh. glorious way. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, most beautiful way. And just circling back to the the theme of psychology, 
you know, this is, you know, where these are the veils, you know, that obscure uh, the recognition that this is always happening, right, to all of us. And this, this, will, this love for the truth, um, this willingness to look and be vulnerable, um, to experience anything, to feel anything, to see anything uh, in the service of this allows its unfolding. Mm. And it's, um, you know, I, I feel very, I also feel very grateful, as I'm sure you do, to be able to be in service to this unfolding um, and emergent realization that this is who we really are and this is mm. what life is all about. And, you know, to embrace, embrace all of it lovingly yes. and, and, and clearly, you know, with discernment. Yeah. And, and this, uh, uh, you know, I have to say, this is so different to the approach of, you know, bliss on, on in the sense of, you know, awakening or self-realization as a state of bliss. I mean, you could say this is a state of bliss. Wow. It's a state of goodness, the flow of goodness that's always available to wow. us. Um, but, the you know, it, it's it's different to the strictly transcendent view i mean again it is a transcendence because you're transcending the um the self concerns Uh the self with its concerns Uh um that come from that core Uh separation sense of separation but it's Uh not transcendence in the conventional sense well or we could say (laughs) i agree uh we could also say it's transcendence and imminence Mm. Uh, it's it's the it's both. it's both and and both movements are vital mm. you know your deconstructive movement was really necessary in order to uncover this uh, mm. transcendent reality and then to know it in our ordinary life and in our human bodies and in our human relationships and to really bring it down right and in to mm. uh, the core of our mm-hmm. human experience and have that illumined right from the inside out for to, mm-hmm. to realize this and to live from it then mm-hmm. in our very ordinary human lives to ground mm-hmm. it right to to feel it in our bones and in our guts and in our hearts and and to let it suffuse our relationship and our work and absolutely all of all human expressions yes. right so it's not that's right it's not about some state mm-hmm. right um, states come and go, but it's actually realizing what's true, deeply true right now in the core of our being and in the core of our ordinary life. Yeah. Yes. This, this filtering into all aspects of our lives, because all aspects of our lives are relationship. We're constantly interacting. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so this is vital the filtering into all areas and what does that mean what does that look like the embodiment of it yeah it changes everything it changes nothing and it changes everything so Mm. true yeah okay okay well good note thank you yes Mm -hmm. thank you john for this conversation i hope it is of some interest and perhaps value to listeners uh-huh. <laughs> getting to know you, getting to know a little bit uh, about the relationship between psychology, being a teacher and non-duality and so on. Wow. Yeah. Getting to know a little more about you too. <laughs>
Thank you. Until we meet again. Uh, à la prochaine, as they say in France. Until <laughs> the next time.